please remain standing as we read from James chapter 1, verses 19 through to 27. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all of his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, please be seated. It's hard as you read the book of James to find where James is going next based on where he has been. Um, but I think this reflects the very James's purpose of writing, that James also wants to draw out uh, of uh, his experience and his knowledge, and of course, inspired by God the Holy Spirit to write these words. But he has a clear understanding of people. And therefore, he understands that when people grow, there are growing pains. Just like you have physically, you have the same spiritually. And when these people are together in the body of Christ, the church, uh, these growing pains are not simply individual, but they affect the people around us. So whatever we are struggling with in our Christian life, it can often affect the person that we are close to in the fellowship or perhaps not as close as we would want to be. And therefore, these growing pens have an effect not only on us, but on each other. And so I put forward the idea in the very first sermon on James, that though James is a master at the Greek language, I don't think he has structured his book in a way that reflects his mastery of the language, but rather his mastery of people. I think his disjointed nature of moving from one subject to another subject is a reflection of what people are like, how people grow, what goes through their minds and the thoughts and doubts and fears that they have. And so as you read James and you're wondering why he's jumping around so much, I think it's a perfect example of, well, let's just have a look in the mirror and see if we're like that. And it doesn't take too long to recognize you are exactly like that. I am exactly like that. My life is not as systematic and as clear and as logical as I tend to believe that it is. It is often disjointed, abrupt, and sometimes out of place with what came before it. And so James's letter always seems to be preempting 
uh, what is going in the hearts and minds of the individuals that he is writing to, almost preempting exactly their next thought, and if not their thought, their questions or their behavior. And so James's structure uh, is a reflection, I believe, on a church that is growing and a church that has growing pains. And part of these growing pains means that we have to understand where we are in relation to our new life in Christ. And I think probably the best way to understand our old nature and our new nature is with a diagram. But I'm not one standing here with a chalkboard or a more technological version of a chalkboard, which would be something, a computer screen, something like that. And you know, I don't have one of those machines to show you, so I'm going to try and demonstrate this morning exactly where you live and why you have pains growing as a Christian. So in the left circle here, this is your left, my, not my left. I've been practicing this all week. <laughs> your left. I want you to understand that this, in this sphere is your old nature, your old way of life. And in this sphere is sin and death. In this sphere is sin and death. And then over here is your new life in Christ, what it will be in the future, finally glorified, free from pain and sadness and everything. And in this sphere, there is grace and life. There is truth, beauty, and goodness without any mar whatsoever. And now I want you to imagine like a true Venn diagram that you bring these two circles and they slightly overlap. And then you have this oval, okay? We're only overlapping by about a third. And in that oval is where you live. In that overlap between your old life and your new life is exactly where you live. And so you have to both deal with the old, but you have the blessing of the new. You have the struggles with the old, but you have the beauty of the new. And this is exactly where James has you, or he wants you to understand you are as you live your Christian life. You still struggle with the old, the old sphere of life, but because you're in Christ Jesus, verse 18, because you are the first fruits of God's creation <clears throat> to be devoted to God, you get to enjoy the blessings, the grace, and the life. But in that <clears throat> oval shape where you stand and live and work and walk and love and cry is where you live. And because you live there, you have the pain of the old and the joy of the new. And that when you grow, you're growing out of the old and into the new, and there's your growing pains. Your growing pains come with growing out of who you were into who you are in Christ Jesus. And this is why James writes in the way that he does. He understands that struggle wonderfully. He understands the beauty of your new life in Christ, but he also understands that you are a person who will struggle with sin, that you are not quick to hear as you should be, and that you're often quick to speak, and you often have trouble with anger, and you cannot control your tongue. You have problems with money, and you have problems with your fellow brother, and you have these problems, but that's because they're reflective of your old nature, but you're growing out of them. And so every change you experience is a change that involves a certain amount of tension and a certain amount of pain a certain amount of difficulty. And so James is writing to a people who he knows what they know, that their new life in Christ is real, but their old life, their old nature is still causing them problems. It's still 
lingering around, causing them to be the type of people that they are no longer in Christ Jesus. So in that overlap is where you live. Now, as you live as a Christian and as you live for God and as you live following Christ, you recognize that your battles with anger and your battles with the sins of omission, your battles with doubt and your battles with temptation, and even with your arguments with other people. I have an understanding that I hopefully is as clear as it's stated in scripture, but when you see two people arguing that are Christians, I don't think that that argument is anything more than your old nature rubbing up against my old nature. I think that's all that it is. It's nothing more than your old self irritating my old self. And therefore, in that context, arguments happen. Difficulties occur. Unity is broken down. And so we must recognize that we all battle against the same nature, but we are also new people in Christ Jesus. And therefore, it is out with the old. We must put off the old man and put on the new. And the reason for this is because, as Paul says in Romans, he doesn't use these words, but this is the proper understanding, that you are definitively sanctified, which means not that you are perfect right now, but that you can say no to sin and yes to God. You need to understand that as a Christian living a Christian life before God, God has given you by his spirit a new life in Christ Jesus, not only the power in Christ and the ability, but also the desire to say no to sin and to say yes to God. And so the moment you feel that an argument is stirring, the moment you feel that you are, do not have control over your tongue, the moment you feel that you're not quick to hear, you need to also remember that in Christ, you have been given everything you need to say no to sin and yes to God. And therefore, these commands and these demands can be made of you because you are not being expected to to do anything that you have not been given the ability to do. God is not expecting more from you than what he has given to you. And so as you hear these commands to be, for instance, quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, those are expectations that you can meet and you can meet them because you are definitively sanctified, you are in the place where you can every day say yes to God and no to sin. Is it a struggle? Of course. Is it a battle we lose? Often. But nonetheless, it is a place where we can still uh, say yes to God and no to sin. So I want you to understand that James is writing to you, writing to us, to people who live with growing pains, and those growing pains are when the old self wants to triumph over the new self. When the old way of life wants to have its way rather than you living your new way of life in Christ. And so let's summarize this if we can. James wants you to see what your old life looks like in actions, and then he wants you to see what your new life should look like in actions either. Your old life reflects and your new life reflects. And therefore, 
We, when we understand that we are living with each other, we are to appreciate here that my relationship with God is a reflection of my relationship with other people, or it will be reflected in my relationship with other people. Likewise, my relationship with other people will also be reflected in my relationship with God. And I spoke about this in Sunday school. I didn't expound on it, but I'll do so now. That we have in a Christian community the transcendent third. That because we all love God and God is the highest, therefore we should be brought closer together because of our common love for God. God is the transcendent third. And what tends to happen in all arguments, in all family breakdowns, in all churches that break down is whatever the third thing is, the third thing can either bring us together or it can drive us apart. So whenever there's an argument between two people, there is something they are arguing over. There's always a third. There's always a third thing that must be identified. And so in a church, what is the one thing that brings us together? Well, it's God. And our love for God means that we therefore then ought to love one another. Hear the words of Jesus. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. And so now we begin to see that my relationship with God affects my relationship with others, and my relationship to others will affect my relationship to God. Because all relationships are triangular. All relationships in include this transcendent third and this is what James would have you understand that as you live together and as you grow together with all of these pains firstly recognize that every trouble in the church is caused by nothing more than your old nature rubbing up against somebody else's old nature the transcendent third is God has been forgotten you are not doing what God is calling you to do. But the moment God is center, the moment God is your central focus and your first love, then suddenly those difficulties don't go away, but they are overcome because love covers a multitude of sins. They're overcome in the love that God supplies. Now, to put this in the form of a question, how is the image of God in me being reflected to my neighbor? How is the image of God that I am made in being reflected to the person that I am sat next to this morning? How is it reflected when I am not quick to hear or slow to speak? Verse 19. Why are we to be quick to hear and slow to speak? Well, he says, verse 20, because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And therefore, I'm not reflecting God, I'm reflecting myself. It is my old nature that I'm reflecting. I'm made in the image of God. I am the first fruits of God, but the very thing that I am reflecting is my old self. And so now people don't see God in me. They don't see a common identifier. They see an old self, which is something that I can rub up against. And therefore we must understand that the only way to overcome, the only way to overcome these difficulties is to receive the implanted word, which is the very next thing that James says. In other words, you're to not only to be quick to hear, you are to receive the implanted word, verse 21, which in and of itself is a difficult thing to understand. How do I receive something I already have? 
How do I receive the implanted word when I already have the implanted word? And so what James is indicating is that the word of God is in you. You must receive its conviction. You must receive its authority over you. You must receive it in terms of your submission to the word of God. And therefore, to receive the implanted word is to not bat away that which will do you good, that which will actually help you to change. There's lots of people here this morning, and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is true of any single one of you, but it is entirely possible for you to be here and for your mind to be on what's in the oven. It's entirely possible for you to be here and your mind to be on Tuesday afternoon because of the meeting you have. That's entirely possible. And that in scripture is called the iniquity of a holy thing. How can something holy be turned into something iniquitous? Well, it happens because you're here presenting yourselves, okay, as living sacrifices, but you're not here. You are elsewhere. And so God has given you his word, but now you're not submitting to, you're not actually receiving it. You're hearing it, but you're not receiving it. So you can be quick to hear, but you may not necessarily receive this word with the meekness that you are commanded to. Why, do we, why are we to receive it? Well, we are to do so because it is that which saves our souls. And this is another example where James is using language which doesn't seem to have much effect on the Christian. I'll give you an example. When James says, able to save your souls, the question that all of us want to ask is, well, am I not already saved? And when James says previously that sin leads to death, who's afraid of that? Not me. I won't die. I belong to Christ and I have life forevermore. So does that then mean that that word is ineffectual? Well, it may be to some, but God's word, remember, always has a purpose. And the best way to explain this is that the same thing can achieve two different results. Okay, the same thing can achieve two different results. Now, I happen to be here in Minnesota in January when there was lots of snow. And I happened to come back in March where there was also lots of snow. <laughs> and then I happened, the week after, it was like went up to like 80 or 90. And then the week after that, I had 10 inches of snow outside the front door all over again. I don't understand what's happening. But what I want to say is this, that the same sun that softens the snow is the same sun that can harden the clay. You understand pottery. You make a clay pot, you put it outside in the sun, and it bakes, and it goes hard. But that same sun which hardens the clay is the same sun which softens the snow. And so as God's word goes forth, the way it achieves what it seeks to achieve is by the reception it has by the people who receive it. I'll give you another example. When you read the book of Jonah, everyone repents. But when you understand what they're repenting to, they're not repenting to the gospel, they're repenting to a message of judgment. I mean, Jonah doesn't even give them the possibility of repentance. He just says, that's it, 40 days, time's up. And they all come to repentance. 
Why? Because God has a particular way of working. He knows what needs to be said, the way it needs to be said at the right time to bring about his purposes. And so sometimes the message of judgment leads to repentance, and sometimes it leads to people rejecting the message of judgment and receiving it. Why? Because the same sun which softens the snow hardens the clay. It is able to do what it's able to do depending on the reception it receives. Hence why James says here, receive the implanted word with meekness. In other words, put yourself in the position where you're able to receive the implanted word favorably so that you can understand and receive the blessings that God has for you. And so who does this word hit the hardest? Well, it hits those who are doubting, those who are double-minded, those who are unstable, those who are lured and taken away and drifting by temptation. That It hits them in a very different way than it hits the person who receives the word uh, in meekness. It's the same word spoken to the same group of people, but people are different. And so people have different growing pains because they're at a different stage before God. And so the message has gone out for you to receive the implanted word, the word that it convicts you in meekness. Listen to it. Listen to what God is saying to you. And therefore, once you have done this, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only because that would be the one way you would deceive yourself above all others, to hear God's word and then not do it. Be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger, but then do the word that you hear. Do the word that you receive. And what does that look like? Well, verse 26, the first thing it will look like is that you will have control over your tongue. The second thing that it will look like is that you will care for those who cannot care for themselves, like widows and orphans in their affliction. And the third thing it will look like is that you will pursue personal holiness. That is what it means to be a doer of the word. And so, number one, or not number one, but the one thing that I'd like us to focus on here, and that is knowing God and knowing self. I want to begin with a question, and the question is this. When you read God's word, do you believe what it says about you? When God's word tells you things about you, do you believe it and do you receive it? Or do you bat it away? Do you defend yourself from that level of conviction, that level of challenge? And John Calvin put it this way, that true wisdom is a knowledge of God and a knowledge of self that to really receive the wisdom of God, it's not only about you knowing God more, but it's also about you knowing yourself more. And so the reason why James is so wise in his speech is because I think he has this perfect complementary relationship between the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self, hence why he hits home runs all the time when it comes to the nature and struggles and difficulties of dealing with people, or rather what people have to deal with. And so, be a hearer of the word, receive the word, and then be a doer of the word is his main point 
in this section. Hear the word, receive the word, and do the word. Of course, be slow to anger. Of course, look at yourself carefully in the perfect law of God. Of course, do all those things. But the, the three main structural things here is hear, receive, and do. So, do you accept what the word of God says about you? Do you receive that with meekness? Or do you receive it as something that's, that's not true? That cannot be for me. That must be for someone I know who that message is for. And so the temptation to sit in church and think, you know, that would have been perfect for that person if they were here today. That may be true. But it's also perfect for you because it will hit home in your heart. And Gordon Taylor put it this way. I think this has been reflected elsewhere, but Gordon Taylor was the first man who explained it to me. He says, Daniel, never forget that God's word is an imperishable seed. It never goes away. It's, in, it's imperishable. And so when God's word is planted, it causes all kinds of troubles for people. Conviction, direction, it just, it's just there all the time. He says it's very similar to a pebble in a shoe. Now, what is the first thing that people tend to do when they've got a pebble in their shoe, a little tiny one, and it's uncomfortable? They don't take their shoe off, and they don't take their sock off, and they don't look for it. They just shake it into a comfortable place, and then they continue walking, right? That's exactly what we do as Christians. We receive the word. It's a little uncomfortable, and then we go out, and we just shake it into a comfortable place until the point it works its way back in to the place where it annoys us all over again. That's the imperishable seed. It doesn't go away. It remains. It annoys. It challenges. And it brings us to the place where we have to deal with ourselves in light of the word. So, be a doer of the word. To do the word is to receive the word as well. You have to, that's a doing action. You are opening yourself up meekly to receive the word of God. But the person who hears the word and then walks away and doesn't do it lives a life of deception. In other words, James describes this type of person as one who doesn't know what they look like, or they do momentarily, only to forget almost immediately. They are looking into a mirror and then thinking that this has done the work. So I know quite a lot of people, uh, especially Christians, where they will think that if they have heard the word, they have therefore done the word. That is, if hearing the word is doing the word, that's not true. Well, I've come to church and I've heard the word and so I've done it. That's not true. This is a bit like looking into a mirror, recognizing that your face needs washing and your hair needs combing and then thinking that the mirror has actually achieved it. Walking away thinking it's done. And of course it doesn't work that way. But the temptation to think that because I have heard, I have therefore done, is a convincing one. But it is not one that is true. And so what James causes us to do here in verse 25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, 
he will be blessed in all of his doing. And of course, this language takes us back to Mount Sinai, where people received the law of God. And of course, the question that you ask at this point is why does the law of God come after the grace of God? You know, often we tend to think that the law of God is Old Testament and the grace of God is New Testament. But I think if you carefully read the Old Testament, grace always precedes the law. You have a garden full of yeses before you have the no. And then you have the grace of God's people being brought out of Egypt under the shed blood of the Lamb, all grace. And then they're brought to Mount Sinai where they receive the law. So the question is, is why does law precede grace? Sorry, why does law come after grace? Why does grace precede the law? And the reason is, is the law, though we cannot keep it perfectly, it safeguards the value of the grace that we have been given. In other words, God puts in his own measures to protect his purchase. God puts in his own measure of protecting the value of what he has created. And therefore, this is something that we are to understand. So one of the uh, measures against antinomianism, that is living as if there is no law and we can just do as we please, according to Titus, is the grace of God. The grace of God, which has first appeared in Christ Jesus, teaches us to say what? No to unrighteousness. In other words, I don't even need a teacher to teach me to say no to unrighteousness. Because the grace of God precedes the teaching. It precedes the instruction. God protects the value of his investment. And so understand that you are bought with a price. You are not your own. And the way God protects the value of you being his first fruits is by not only giving you grace, but by giving you his perfect law as a means of safeguarding the value of his purchase. Not because you can be saved by law, of course not, but rather so that you would understand the value of your salvation, so that you would understand the value of a sinless life. I mean, just think for a moment, what is the cost of a sinless life? And how does that value get protected as you live that life? Well, this is what James is addressing. And so James has moved us from the external trials, the trials that come with circumstances, through the internal doubts and temptations that we all have, and now back to the externalities of the Christian faith, doing the word. So chapter one is external, through the internal, and then back to the outworking of the gospel. The external trials then the doubt and the temptation being lured away, and then back out into the external realities of what it means to actually become a people who do the word. And the reason he does this is because he understands that whatever is true of you of whatever is true of you in the future is going to be partly true of you now. So in the future you will be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, holy and blameless above reproach. And so whatever is true of you in the future will be partly true of you now. And the reason is because you are becoming that person in the future. And so whatever is true of you in glory 
will be partly true of you now because of your new life in Christ Jesus. The difficulty comes with the growth because the growing pains is the pains that we have that come from the old nature. So let me finish with this as an exhortation. It is not possible to grow without pain. It is not possible to grow up in your Christian life, to go on to maturity without experiencing the growth out of your old nature and the pains that come with that. And so be quick to hear God's word. Be quick to hear God's word. Have control over your tongue. Be slow to anger and look in the mirror steadfastly so that you would see what you are really like. Understand that your old nature causes all the problems and your new nature in Christ gives you all the blessings. Understand also that as you leave here today that not only are you to be a hearer of the word, you are to receive the word and then you are to go and do the word. Amen. Let me pray for us before we carry on. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would continually change us by your word being uh, given to us in the written form, in the audio form, in the spoken form, in whatever form it comes in, we thank you, Father God, that your word is the implanted word first and foremost in our lives, from which we are to respond and from which we receive the blessings that you have for us. We thank you, Father God, that we are a growing people. And because of this, we experience pains, but we also experience the hope of what we are growing into. In Jesus' name, amen.